up on the tree. Uh, in the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in, in victory. And, and, and that echoes what John the Baptist said. 129, when John saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away uh, the sin of the world. You all can be seated as we have one final song for you this morning called Lamb of God. As we think about Jesus as the Lamb of God who hangs and who dies on Calvary. Uh, so you guys can follow along and sing along with this last song, Lamb of God. <coughs>
to hear from the scriptures about the Lamb of God who will die on the tree at Calvary. But let's go ahead and take a few minutes of fellowship before we get to the sermon.
All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, we're going to look at verses 32 to 44 today. And this is an extraordinary passage. I think every passage we open up and we study is a is an amazing passage of God's Word that we get to study. But this here today is extraordinary. This here today is what the whole Gospel of Matthew has been building to. In Matthew chapter 1, when they said, His name shall be called Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. It looked forward to this day. Uh, this is what the, all of history has been building to. This, this is the epicenter of history. This day that we're going to look at today is the mountaintop. On the road to the cross, we have arrived. So today I want to show you the record of what took place on the day they crucified Jesus. On the day that they crucified our Savior. On the day that Jesus died to save us from our sins. Here is the record. If anything should grab our attention and keep it for 45 minutes to an hour, this should do it. So I ask you to hang on to every word. If not of my words, but of every word in this passage today. This is the day Jesus was crucified. So let's stand together. I want to start in verse 32. And and again, this is the day Jesus was crucified. And we'll read through verse 44. It's a, a longer passage, but I want to go to the foot of the cross and I want to see and I want to hear everything that took place on the day that Jesus was crucified. Starting in verse 32, the Word of God says, And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him. And parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And they set up over his head as this accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him and wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders and said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and then we'll believe in him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Then the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. This is the events, the day they crucified our Lord. Let's pray together and we'll study the events surrounding the cross. Father, we thank You for this day. Um, I've studied it all week and I'm going to say it in the sermon. This is the, the, the greatest day in the history of the world. This is the day that our Savior went to the cross and bore our sins and our sorrow and our shame. The day that our sins were atoned for. The day that all the things that I've done, am doing, and will do was completely covered by the blood of Christ. There's no other day like this day. So please, God, grab all of our attention in here this morning. Please, God, let us hear these words. Let us see this scene. Let our hearts be humbled. Let us see what it took to save the likes of us. Every single thing He went through was what it took to save me from my sins. So God, please teach us about the cross today. 
And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. My kids asked me a really good question the other day. We were riding down the road, and they do not like awkward silence. Actually, they don't like any silence at all. Uh, so as we were riding down the road, I don't even know which kid it was. It might have been Isaiah. looked at me and said, Dad, if you could go back and in history to any day throughout time, what day would it be? You can go back and you can relive one day. And I thought, that's a, that's a great question. What are the options? And as I'm driving down the road, I'm trying to think about it. And, and my kids are waiting for my answer. They're waiting on the edge of their seat. What day would my dad go back to and, and live if he could? Just one day. What day would it be? And I'm asking you that. What day would, would you go back and, and would you say, I'm going to be here for a 24-hour period and I'm going to experience this one day? And I thought about it. I thought maybe it could be the day that, that my kids were born. I could go back to, to when Gracie Bell was born or when Isaiah was born or, or when Christian or when Emma or when Hallie. That's all five of my kids. I could go back to any one of those days. I think that's what they were looking for. Dad, would you go back to the day I was born? Which kid is your favorite, Dad? <laughs> So I can go back to one of the days that my kids were born. I can go back to the, the day that I, I got married. What a, what a wonderful day that was for Steph. <laughs> for me, for her, one of the greatest days of my life. I can go back and, re- and live that day again. Go through all the, the, the nerves and watch everything that took place. And, and that was a, a great day for me. I could go back to the, the day I graduated high school. That was a, a great day. Or the day I graduated college. Or, or you could go back even further. And I could go back and, and sit in the Metropolitan Tabernacle and listen to the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, preach a sermon. That would be an event. I could go back and listen to, to Jonathan Edwards preach the sinners in the hands of an angry God. I could go back to, to Martin Luther 1517 and, and sit back and watch him nail the 95 thesis on the door in, in Wittenberg. There's a lot of options and uh, days that, that you could choose. But I think the answer has to be, and I, I didn't even give my kids an answer because I, I found the answer this week. The answer is for me, and maybe not for you, but for me, the day that, that, that I would go back, I would go back to, to this day. I would go back to this moment in time. I would go back to the day that God had planned from all eternity past. That way before that creation ever happened, that that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit planned and ordained this day to take place. I would go back to the day that all the Old Testament looked forward to. The day that in Genesis 3, God said, He shall bruise the serpent's head and it shall bruise his heel. Looking forward to this day. I go back to the day that all the Gospels talk about. That are they all built to to this day and and to this moment and to this time. You start in Matthew 1 or Mark or Luke or John 1 and it's all building to, to this day where we get the events surrounding the greatest day in the history of the world. This day that all of history looks back to. This day which is the epicenter of all human history. This day that Jesus was crucified. This is the day you go back to. And I want you to go back there with me today. We get to go back. We get to see. We get to hear. We get to know all the events that took place on the greatest day in history. We get to go to the foot of the cross. We get to see what took place. We get to hear what they said. We get to see exactly what it took to save us from our sins. Go back there with me. And let's walk with Jesus as He goes to the cross and is crucified. I hope it humbles us. I hope it grabs our attention. I hope we see 
our sin, but I hope today that every one of us sees our Savior. So go back there and let's look at the day Jesus was crucified. I've got four points I want to give you just as we walk through that day. I want to show you number one, verse 32. The stranger that carried the cross. Look at verse 32. Let's, let's look at verse 31. It says, And when they mocked Him, they took a robe off of Him, and they put His own raiment on Him, and they led Him away to be crucified. Verse 32, and they came out. So they're leading Jesus away to crucify Him. He is now on the death march. He's now on the last steps as He's walking His way to the cross. You can picture it in your mind. That's what I want to do. I want to go back. That there would be four soldiers, two on each side, and there'd be a centurion that would be leading the way. And they would take the cross beam, not the entire cross, just the cross beam that His hands would go on, and they'd lay it on His shoulders somewhere between 100 and 200 pounds is now laid on top of His shoulders, and they're now leading Him all the way up to the cross. It's called the Via Del the road to the cross. There would be a parade. There would be thousands of people lining the streets. They'd all be there watching. It was a public statement. It was a, a spectacle. There'd be onlookers everywhere. They wanted maximum exposure so that everybody could see what happens to a criminal. So that kids would see it on the, on the side of the road and their parents would nudge them and say, don't go like that guy did. Do you see what happens if you break the law? Nudging their kids. Kids hiding their eyes. Jesus carrying the, the cross beam down the Via Del Rosa. Verse 32, they don't think Jesus is going fast enough. He's weak. He's been up all night. This night started in the garden with Him praying drops of blood. Then they arrested Him and put Him to trial. Six different trials. They flogged Him. They beat Him. He's been beaten to a bloody pulp. He's carrying this cross beam. He's near death already. He's weak in his humanity. So they reach out to this man. Just a random man in the crowd. Walking down the Via Della Rosa and Jesus is following, falling under the weight of a hundred pounds to two hundred pound cross beam. And, and they're on a time schedule. They've got to get there and, and Jesus keeps falling over. His back has been shredded. He's, he's been beaten uh, to where you can't even recognize Him. And He's falling over once and, and twice. And they say, we've got to get somebody else to carry this beam. So a soldier, one of the four, reaches into the crowd and grabs a man by the shoulder and says, you, come here. Says he, he grabbed a man, a stranger, a Cyrene named Simon. And they compelled him. They didn't ask him to do it. They didn't say, would you like to carry the cross? Compelled means they forced him. They pulled him out of the crowd and they put the cross on his shoulders. And Simon from Cyrene carried the cross the rest of the way. You say, who is this man, Simon of Cyrene? Cyrene is a place in northern Africa. He's probably, all commentators say, he's probably a black man from northern Africa. They pull him out of the crowd. He's a pilgrim who has come there just for the Passover. Maybe the first and, and maybe even the last time he ever made that trip. He's basically on vacation. You made this trip once a year or maybe once in a lifetime. So he's there. He's just in the crowd. He has no idea. It's a normal day to him. And all of a sudden, he's getting pulled out of the crowd and the cross is placed on his shoulders. And he's chosen to carry this cross. He never expected this day would go this way. He's up close and personal with Jesus. As you see it through his eyes, he carries it the rest of the way. 
He sees Jesus face to face. He drops the cross when they get to the hill. He looks into the eyes of Jesus. He had no idea that this day would be a life-changing day for him. He said, well, who is this man? I just want you to just a second. Mark 15 says, and I'm going to read it to you. Mark 15, verse 21, it says, And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by. He's just a passerby. He's just in the crowd. He's a, he's a nobody from nowhere. And coming, he's coming out of the country. And he's the father of Alexander and the father of Rufus. And they get him to bear the cross. So he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. You say, Josh, that doesn't help us at all. I don't know who Alexander is. And I don't know who Rufus is. Mark knew who Alexander was, and Mark knew who Rufus was, and the, the, the people he was writing to in Rome knew who Alexander and Rufus were. Romans 16.13, I, I want you to get this too, just, just so you have an idea of who this guy was. Romans 16.13, at the end of Paul's letter to Rome, he, he, he's writing some salutations, some last uh, things here at the letter, and he says, Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, and also... a a mother of mine. You say, what, what does that mean? It's highly likely that Simon in Matthew 27, after carrying the cross, was saved. Simon goes home to his wife and his two sons, Rufus and Alexander, and now they are heavily involved in the church in Rome. This is not a random man. I want you to get that. This is not just some guy that, maybe to the guards, he's just some guy that they pulled out of the crowd. But to God, this is not chance. This is not luck. This is not random. This is divine providence. That God is putting the whole scene together in the midst of, of a terrible, tragic scene where the Son of Man is dying. God is saving this random Simon of Cyrene. Jesus at his weakest in his humanity is still strong and mighty to save. God put it together. God ordered it. God planned it so that this one man in the middle of this scene could be saved. This is a day Simon never dreamed of. This is a day, and this is how it happens. You never know when you're going to come face to face with Jesus and He's going to save you. I don't apply that. I don't know where you were. I don't, I don't know uh, what happened to you on the day you got saved. But I doubt you woke up that morning and you said, you know what? I think I'm going to get saved today. I think I'm going to run into Jesus today. I think I'm going to give my life to Christ today. I think I'm going to ask Him to forgive me of my sins today. I think the Gospel is going to penetrate my heart today. Nobody does that. It's out of the blue. It's, it's common. But it's mapped out by God in heaven from all time. To where you will come face to face with Jesus and you will be saved. Just like Simon of Cyrene. God matched the road where we meet His Son. I think Simon of Cyrene could have said, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. God saved this stranger on the way to the cross. So there's the stranger carrying the cross. Now I want to show you the suffering on the, on the cross. Look what it says after that in verse 34. No, verse 33. He says, And when they were coming to a place, they got there. He reached there. It's called Golgotha. And that is to say, a place of, of the skull. Golgotha is Aramaic for place of the skull. Golgotha in Latin would be Calvaria, which is where we get the word Calvary. 
It looked like a skull. It was a place full of skulls. That's more likely what it was. It was a place where, where people died and their skulls were laying everywhere. Most likely it was a very specific place and a very public place on the main highway going into Jerusalem so that all the crowds could walk into Jerusalem and see them dying on the cross. Thousands of people passing by would see this. This wasn't hidden. This was out in the open. This wasn't in some room somewhere where just a few people saw it. This is Jesus going to hang on a cross for everybody to see. Outside the city where they would take and throw the trash away. He was crucified in a trash heap, not in a garden. And then it says they offer Him in verse 34, vinegar to drink mingled with gall. They offered him pain relief. They offered him an opiate. They offered him a painkiller. Something to dull the pain. Something, and this wasn't them showing Jesus mercy. It wasn't, he's in so much pain, let's give him something here that will dull that and make him uh, not feel the whole thing. This is, he's, most of these guys are going to fight. Most of these guys are going to squirm. You can't, you can't hold them down. So let's give them something to kind of knock them out so we can nail them on the cross a little bit better. We took one of our, we took all of our kids to the dentist last week. Hallie's first attempt at a dentist. It took, she's, she's, she's 17 months old. It took everybody in the room to hold her down. She's all of what, 20 pounds? Uh, me, Steph, dentist, nurse, kids, all trying to get her to hold down so we could look at her teeth. Can you imagine trying to crucify somebody and nail their hands into a cross and their, their feet on the bottom and you're going to hang them up there? These guys would fight. It would be rough. So let's give them a little bit of a, a painkiller. Let's, let's knock them out a little bit so we can really nail them in. And then when they get up there and they're nailed down, the painkiller will, will go away and now they can really suffer. But what does Jesus do here? Watch. So they give Him vinegar to drink mingled with gall when he tasted thereof, he wouldn't drink it. He wouldn't take it. Jesus refuses the pain relief. Jesus chooses to experience every last bit of the pain. Jesus chooses maximum suffering. Jesus chooses to feel every bit of it. Jesus chooses full senses. He's taking our pain. He's taking our death. He's drinking it all down. All the agony. And this is no easy way for Him to suffer. He's taking it all. You know why? Because there will be no dulling of the pain in hell. There's no ibuprofen, no Tylenol, no opioids, no nothing in hell. You take all the pain of hell. So when Jesus is taking our hell on the cross... He takes it in its fullest. Maximum pain on the cross. And then it says in verse 35, just four words, as simple as it can get. And they crucified Him. No graphic details, no explanation. All, all the description we get is four words. And they crucified Him. You say, why didn't they give us more details? Why didn't they tell us how they did it and, and where the nails would go and, and, and how they put Him on there? Because they said it was impolite conversation to even talk about what happened on the cross. It was so gruesome that you, couldn't even, you weren't even allowed to talk about it. 
And they'd seen it a thousand times, so they, they, they didn't really even need a, an explanation when they say, and they crucified Him. Everybody gets a picture in their mind. Everybody. We don't see it. They saw it. But I want to give you just a few things about the crucifixion here. Hang with me. This was a calculated thing that they did. Very calculated. It was all on purpose. It was public. It was uh, to be a show. They prolonged it as long as they could. I mean, they, they had it down to a, a science. How long they would hang there. How long they could survive. It would go up to three days to the point where even birds would come and eat on their flesh before they even died. It was humiliating. Jesus was naked. It was shameful. Everything exactly how they wanted it to be. It was cruel. It's called the most horrific way to die. It was torture to the max. We get our word excruciating. It means out of the cross. Just a few of the details. They would take Jesus and they would pin one arm down with a knee. One soldier would pin his arm down and the other soldier would pin his wrist down and they would take a nail, which would be a seven-inch spike that was rusted and square, dull on the end that should be sharp. And they would take a hammer and they wouldn't nail it into the palm, they would nail it into the wrist. If it was in the palm, he would have never hung there. It would, it would rip right through. So they put it in the wrist so that no bones were broken. And they would put it, nail him in on one side. And then they'd hold his other arm down and nail him in on the other side. And then they'd put his feet together with his knees flexed. And they would, they would nail his feet into the cross. And they would take the cross and they'd pick it up with him on it and slide it into a hole that was already there and dug. All that pain and all that death could offer. And he would hang there until he died, trying to get a bread trying to, 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 to get any kind of oxygen into his lungs. And, and a doctor wrote this. Here's what a, a death on a cross would be. There would be dizziness, cramps, thirst, sleepiness, fever, delirium, exhaustion, panic attacks, fluid in the lungs, suffocation, open wounds, crushing chest pain, and all that while naked with crowds around him. And that's just the physical pain. That's not even what he dreaded the most. This is the cruelest and most loathsome pain and suffering that anyone could ever go through. But it's also a cursed death. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So the worst part was not the physical. I've told you that. You've got to know that. I think that may be the, one of the main reasons we don't get details here of what took place at the crucifixion because it's not about the pain and the suffering on the cross. It's about God pouring out His wrath upon Jesus on the cross. It's a spiritual suffering. The wrath of God is falling down on Him. It's unimaginable what Jesus is going through. Both physically and spiritually, He is suffering to the, to the max on the cross. The only people who have any idea remotely of what Jesus is facing here is people who are in hell today. Where they are suffering the physical torment unlike anything we could ever imagine but they are also suffering under the wrath of Almighty God. And they are suffering just for their own sins. 
Can you imagine Jesus suffering for all the sins of all his people on the cross? This is unimaginable suffering. We can't imagine what he's going through. And while he's doing this, watch this. Happening down below him. Look at it, verse 35. The soldiers are parting his garments. This is normal for soldiers. These guys are not coming down from the cross. So they take all their belongings and they're now going to start divvying them up and saying, who's going to get this? and Who's going to get that? Jesus would have a headgear. And they'd say, who wants that? And who wants his sandals? And who wants his overcoat? And who wants his tunic? And who wants all these things? And they start rolling dice to see who's going to get what and splitting it up amongst the soldiers. Jesus is up on the cross dying for their sin and down below they couldn't care at all. No care in the world. Indifferent to Jesus dying. I don't have time to get into this, but I think that there's a lot of people in our world today that even hear sermons like this and they hear what Jesus is doing for them on the cross and they're more interested in whatever else is going on in their life than what Jesus is doing on the cross. There's people who sit in church services and would rather sit on their phone more interested with Facebook or social media than they are what Jesus is doing on the cross. They go through life and, it's, and they care about everything else but what Jesus is doing on the cross. Many have lost interest. These guys are more interested in clothes than they are Christ. And it adds that that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. This was spoken in Psalm 22.18 about the dividing of the garments. The gall and the vinegar was spoken in Psalm 69.21. Over and over and over, even Jesus' enemies are fulfilling every prophecy in the Old Testament. It's amazing. How everything that's happening has all been planned by God from before the foundation of the world. This is no accident. This is all planned. This is the way that God the Father planned for God the Son to die on the cross. Exactly. This is what it took. This is how bad our sin is. He's not overdoing it. He's doing exactly what it took to save us. If He did anything less, we wouldn't be saved. So we've seen the stranger carrying the cross. We've seen the suffering on the cross. And I want to show you the sign above the cross. It says there in verse 36, and that they're sitting there and they, they watched him there. And they set a, a, up over his head this accusation. See, everybody that was a criminal would have their crime posted above their head. What did he do? So you had two thieves on each side, one on the right and one on the left, and they would have a sign above their head what they did. So every time this happened, and there was thousands of crucifixions that took place at this time, and every one of them, people would walk by and they'd say, I wonder what he did, and it'd be above their head. I wonder what he did, and it'd be above their head. So above Jesus' head is his crime. What's his crime? Watch this. It doesn't say he says he is the king of the Jews. It says his crime is, he is the king of the Jews. That's his crime. This is meant to be a mockery of Jesus. Even a mockery of the Jews. The Jews went to Pilate and said, take that down. Put something back up there that says, he says he is the king of the Jews. Not that he is. Make his crime blasphemy. 
And Pilate said, it says what it says. And this became the message to everybody that passed by. They said it was written in Hebrew. It was written in Latin. It was written in Greek. This is a universal message to everybody that here hanging on this cross is the King of God's people. Here hanging on this cross is the rejected King. Here hanging on this cross is the innocent King. Killed for being exactly who He was. Here hanging on this cross is the sovereign King. That even on the cross... God is in complete control of even the handwriting of Pilate above the cross. That they had no idea they were doing it, but the truth was being posted here is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So that everybody would walk by and say, His only crime is being the King of the Jews. The cross becomes a pulpit to preach the sovereignty of God. And lastly, I want to show you the sounds around the cross. I've tried to, I've tried to let, let you see what's taking place here with a stranger that's carrying the cross, with a suffering. I, want, I wanted you to, to feel that as we, as we saw the suffering on the cross. The sign, we, we saw the sign. And now I want you to hear. I want your ears to hear the sounds of what's taking place. Almost like we can close our eyes and we can hear it. The sounds taking place. Look what it says. Verse 38. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. We've all heard this before. These are two hardened and dangerous criminals. These are thieves, rebels, insurrectionists. These are two very bad men. These are two of the worst men that you could ever imagine. And they're hanging on the sides of the the very best man who ever lived. He's hanging out with the worst of sinners. He's hanging with the worst of sinners. He's identifying with. The Bible says he was numbered with sinners. He's dying exactly as he lived. With sinners. Jesus never avoided sinners. Jesus always sought sinners. We love the saying, Jesus ate with sinners. We love that. He ate with sinners to call sinners to repentance. And now He hangs on a cross with sinners. Dying with sinners. And they say, verse 44 it says, and they say the same thing in their teeth. Luke 22 says what they say. They're hanging there with Jesus and He's getting abused from the very worst men in the world. That they look at Jesus as they're hanging there and they say, if you be the Christ. I want you to hear this. If you be the Christ, the one that they say you are and that you say you are, and they're saying it to Jesus as as He's hanging there, then save yourself. Get yourself down from the cross and get us down too. You, you, You can hear that. The agony in their voices. The suffering that they're going through. And they're saying, save us. Get us down. Get yourself down and get us down too. And then the crowd starts yelling. Verse 39. And they that passed by, that's the crowd, passers by. I told you that the cross would be somewhere on Main Street. 
the road going into Jerusalem. So everybody that's going into Jerusalem that day, which is uh, during the Passover where there's thousands, even upwards of a, of a million people going into the city, they would all pass by and see these three men hanging on the cross. And as they pass by, what did they do? Look what it says. They reviled Him. This reviling would be they mocked Him and made fun of Him. This would be the equivalent of a us sticking our tongues out at somebody. That, that was what was going through my mind. My kids do that all the time. I, I jump on them. They think I don't see them, but they'll I'll jump on them and they'll look at the they'll look at the other kids and do. Mm, mm. I mean, I don't know what that does. I saw that. I say, I didn't do nothing. Mm. So as they, that's what that is. That's what that mocking or or the reviling. As as they pass by, they would they would even stick their nose up in the air like like they're better than he is, and they would they would stick their tongue out and and, and just making fun and, and you know mocking and, and reviling and doing all kinds of of terrible things. Everybody that's walking by is now looking at Jesus and mocking him. People that that you, you know we don't even know thousands walking by, and it says and they wagged their heads. I mean. They, You know, you, you do that sometimes. You walk through Walmart late at night. <laughs> see, we, we do see we're laughing. That's kind of what they were doing to Jesus, looking up at him, and, and, and he's naked and he's hanging on a cross, and it says he's the king of the Jews, and everyone would walk by, and if they, they didn't make fun and, and make faces at him, they would at Jesus. One after the other. It's ugly. It's relentless. It's going on the entire time he's on the cross. And people just. Meh. And what do they say? I hope you hear that mockery. They passed by and they reviled him and they wagged their heads at him. And they say at verse 40. It's amazing that every one of them is saying the same thing. Uh, we'll, we'll get to it, but the, the thieves were saying, get yourself down and get us down. And now they're, lo they're looking at Him and they're going to say the same thing. You, you think you can get yourself down from there? It's almost like Satan is in the ear of, of all these people saying, tempt Him to come down from the cross. Tempt Him to come down. Look what they say. You destroyed the temple. You said that thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. <laughs> he didn't say that. He said uh, the, the body, the temple, he's going to destroy and raise it in three days. They were misquoting Jesus. It happens all the time. Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save yourself. If you truly are the Son of God, come down from the cross. If He comes down from the cross, ain't nobody ever going to be saved. It's almost the same temptation of Matthew 4 when the devil was trying to get him to, to bow the knee, to, to, to jump off the temple and let, let God save him. Trying to do anything that he could, offering him the kingdom. Anything he could to get him off the cross. Matthew 4, keeping from the cross. Here, getting down from the cross. So they're mocking him. Satan wanted him down. I tell you, we need to be thankful that he didn't come down. Now the sound of the religious leaders. 
Look in verse 41. Likewise, just like everybody else. These guys should have been so much better than everybody else. They should have been better than the thieves on the cross. Those, those, are, those are wicked men. They, they, they don't know any better. They're going to be like that. The crowd, they don't know any better. They don't even know who Jesus is. They're just walking down the street and, and making fun of Jesus. But if anybody should know better, it should be the religious leaders. They should be acting better than everybody else, right? When you see a preacher, he better be acting better than everybody else. That's what's expected. I know that. When I go to ball games, everybody's screaming at the umpire. If I scream at the umpire, everybody wags their head. You're expecting more of, right? And that's what these spiritual leaders, you think they're going to do better than that. They won't make fun of Jesus. Likewise, verse 41. Also the chief priests mocked Him. The chief priests, the head honchos, the big man, the guy everybody looked up to. The guy that's going to go into the temple on Passover and, and, and make the sacrifice. This is, this is the, the big guy. The chief priests. The scribes. The elders. They're all mocking. They're all making fun. They're, they're all, and, and, and I'll say this, they're gloating is what they're doing. They, they've been waiting for a long time to get to Jesus and now they finally got Him up there. And they're saying, yeah. Who are you now, big boy? They're, they're making fun of him. They look at him and they say, they don't even say it to him. They say it to each other. Loud enough where he can hear it. He saved others. But he can't even save himself. He raised people from the dead. But he can't even get himself down from the cross. You see that? He healed blind eyes. Can't get himself down off the cross. He healed deaf ears. Well, look at that. He's helpless now. He fed the multitude. But he can't come down now, can he? Look at him. He thought he was something when he was doing all that other stuff. And the crowds were all around him. But look at him now. How helpless he is. He can't do anything. Just mocking him. And it says if he... See that they're talking about him. Not to him. If He be the King of Israel, let Him come down from the cross and then we'll believe in Him. That's a, that's a, that's a lie. It's, it's a lie. It's saying if He really is the King of Israel, then let Him come down off that cross and we'll believe that He is the King of Israel. That's not how things work. You, you, we need to understand this in salvation. It's not we see and then we believe. It's we believe in Jesus and then He opens our eyes that we see. They're saying, no, 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 no. We need to, to see. And then we'll believe. Had they not seen enough? They're just sitting there saying, He saved others. He raised the dead. He healed the blind. He healed the dead. He fed the multitudes. And they've seen enough. They want a miracle. The miracle is He stays on the cross. So He says, come down. And we'll believe. He will come down and He'll go to a grave and He'll be raised again on the third day and they still won't believe. That's just them mocking Him. Mocking and making fun. Verse 43 may be the most hurtful thing they say on the cross. He trusted in God. 
Let God deliver him now, if he'll have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. They're saying he calls himself the Son of God. If he really is the Son of God, then why wouldn't God come down and help him now? He trusted in God uh, the whole time we were around him, and now, where's, where, where's your God at now? Mockery. Saying it with a smile on their face. Gloating. We've beat you now. I said it throughout his whole three years of ministry. They were after him. On his heels. Wanting to kill him. Wanting to get him on a cross. Wanting to destroy him. Wanting to humiliate him. And, and now he's finally there and, and they're gloating. All that abuse. Abuse from the thieves. Abuse from the crowd. Abuse from the spiritual leaders. And Jesus stayed on the cross. That may be, and I'm almost done, that may be the most amazing thing about the passage is that He stayed on the cross. He didn't come down. The temptation had to be out of this world. From the thieves on the cross to the crowd marching by the cross and the leaders around the cross, they're all come down making fun. Do you not have power? Is your God not powerful enough? Is, is God not answering your prayers now? It had to be so tempting for Him to say, let me show you. But if Jesus steps down off that cross, every one of us dies in our sins. So Jesus... Enduring that abuse and staying on that cross shows me two things. And I'm going to close. Two things. First, He stayed on the cross to be an example to us. You say, what does that mean? I want you to turn with me. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let us look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then in verse 3 it says, For consider Him. And what's going on here is that there's a bunch of people that that's being written to in the book of Hebrews who are about to throw in the towel. They're about to wave the white flag. They're about to give up and to go back to their old way of life. They're saying, I've had enough of this persecution. I've had enough of this hatred. My family has disowned me. The world hates me. I'm going back and I'm giving up. And in verse 3, the author of Hebrews says, Wait. Think about Jesus. Consider Him. Go to the cross and see what He endured. And we, our minds got to go there. And it says, consider Him. When you think you're about to throw in the towel, when you think you're about to give up, when you think you can't do any more, we consider Jesus. We think about Jesus. We go to the cross, which is the greatest example of endurance that has ever been seen. Nobody suffered more 
and did not give up than Jesus. Consider Him. Look at this. Who endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself. Lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. What a verse. He's the greatest example of endurance that the world has ever seen. That He took the onslaught that everybody had thrown on Him and He didn't come down from the cross. Is an example to us. He'll even say that here. Yeah, you've not resisted unto blood. They're not shedding your blood yet. What you're going through ain't nothing compared to what Jesus went through. The shame and the, and the, the, the suffering and the, the pain. And nobody's ever went through anything like Jesus did. And yet He stayed on the cross. So I tell you today, those of you who are Christians in this room, and I'd say it's a majority of us, I tell you today, just when you think about giving up, just when you think about throwing in the towel, and I know you get there, we all get there, in a world that is becoming more and more hateful to Christians, all of us have this in our minds, just throw in the towel, just wave the white flag, just give it up. When there's so much happening and there's death and there's sickness and there's sin all around us, when they're pulling you from, from the truth and, and, and they're pulling you from church and everybody's getting pulled away, we need to consider Him. And say, I'm not bowing down. I'm not giving up. Consider Him. And I call you today to endure in the faith. I know there's not been a whole lot of application today, but I call you today to endure in the faith. Don't give up. Don't let in. Don't let the world pull you away. Don't fall into sin. Stick to Jesus. No matter what they do to you, no matter how they persecute you and talk about you and, and tell you that the truth isn't the truth anymore, we must today, more than ever, endure and keep on going. Because Jesus did. So He stayed on the cross as an example to us. And He stayed on the cross out of love for us. They say it wasn't the nails that held Him there. It was His love. Simon, the Cyrene, needed a Savior. So Jesus stayed on the cross. The soldiers that were mocking Jesus and were indifferent to Him and was rolling dice for His clothes needed a Savior. So Jesus stayed on the cross. Verse 54 of the same passage in Matthew 27 says, Now when the centurion and they that were with Him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, This was truly the Son of God. They needed a Savior. The murderers of Jesus needed a Savior. So Jesus stayed on the cross. Do you see salvation at the cross? Simon of Cyrene and soldiers in verse 54. I can give you more. The crowd needed a Savior. This same crowd who's marching by Jesus and wagging their heads and sticking out their tongue and reviling and mocking Him in Acts chapter 2. Thousands of those people will bow the knee and be saved. That crowd needed a Savior. So Jesus stayed on the cross. 
the thief beside Jesus needed a Savior. So Jesus stayed on the cross. You say, what does that mean? That same thief who said, if you're the cross, get yourself down and get us down. We'll later, and we'll look at it, we'll later look at Jesus and say, look at the other thief and say, stop. Stop mocking Him. Don't you know that we're guilty and He's innocent? And then look at Jesus and say, remember me. And Jesus will say, today you'll be with me in paradise. A man with his last breath is saved. He needed a Savior. So Jesus stayed on the cross. How about these religious leaders? Acts 6-7 says that some of these same religious leaders, that an abundance of priests were coming to obedience to the faith. They needed a Savior. So Jesus stayed on the cross. I think I just went through everybody in the scene. I think we went through through Simon, and we went through the crowd, and we went through the religious leaders, and we went through the thief. Jesus stayed on the cross because they needed a Savior. I'll give you another one. We needed a Savior. As Jesus is hanging there on the cross, He knows if He goes down that Joshua's sins will not be atoned for. That there's no way I'll ever be forgiven and that I'll go to hell. On that cross, Jesus knows if He comes down, those of you here today who are saved, your sins won't be forgiven. Jesus knew you needed a Savior, so He stayed on the cross. And I sit here today and I'll say this. He knew that somebody in this room today would need a Savior. That there's somebody in here today who's like Simon of Cyrene. Who you just came walking into church today and had no idea that today could be a life-changing day. That you're just part of the crowd. You just came in to be coming in. And all of a sudden, you're coming face to face with this crucifixion scene. You had no idea what would be preached and what you would hear and what you would see. And there's distractions and things pulling your mind away. And you don't want to hear it and you don't want to see it. But for some reason, your eyes get drawn in and your ears are hearing this. And you're seeing Jesus on the cross very clearly for the first time. And God the Holy Spirit is grabbing you by the shoulder and saying, Come to me! And you're at a crossroads. I like that word, cross. Roads, where everybody in history will come to the cross and have to make a decision. Which way will I go? Everybody. Everybody. So the Holy Spirit brings you to a crossroads. Shows you one way or the other. You'll see Jesus and you'll bow the knee and you'll believe and you'll confess And you'll put your faith in Him and you'll be saved like Simon of Cyrene, like a thief on the cross, like some of the crowd and like some of the priests. Or you'll go the other way. And you'll keep on walking right by Jesus like it never even happened. My fear is today that there's somebody going to come to the cross, road, and they're just going to keep on walking. They're going to see the suffering. They're going to see the love. They're going to see all that took place on this great day. And they're just going to walk on by like it never even happened. Because there's way too many people who are indifferent 
to what happened on the greatest day in history. I think there's probably some indifferent people in here today that they hear about the cross and they just say, eh. Eh. You know that there were people who walked by the cross? You had the people that walked by the cross and would wag their head, mock, stick their tongue out. But you had other people that just kept on walking by. You know why? Because they'd seen it all before. This stuff happened all the time in, in Jerusalem. I mean, they, they said thousands of people. Rome, Rome would crucify thousands of people on the cross. So they just, they just walk on by. I've seen it all before. No big deal. Who cares? <laughs> you know, I don't even want to look at them anymore. That's the way a lot of people are in churches today. They've heard about the cross. They've heard about the suffering. They've heard about the pain. They've heard about Him taking our place. They've heard of all these things and they just nah, keep on walking by. They're indifferent to it. May we never be indifferent to what happened on the cross. So today you come to the crossroads and you have two options. You run to the cross by faith or you just keep on walking by. I pray that today that as you see what happened on this day that you would put your faith in Jesus believing in Him and what He did for you on that cross and that you'd be saved today. I'm going to read you just a couple of verses of a song and I'll close. Isaac Watts, a great Puritan, wrote, When I survey the wondrous cross. And that word survey is when I look at it, when I study it, when I go in depth, when, when, when I, I listen to a sermon, when I read a passage on the cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. It humbles us. It should humble us. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to His blood. See His head, His hands, His feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose such rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When you see the cross, that's the only right response. It demands my soul. It demands my life. It demands my all. May this picture of the cross change the way we live. This is the greatest day in the history of the world. The day that Jesus was crucified for me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this day. Amazing, an amazing picture of what took place on that day where we see the worst of humanity thrown at Jesus. But we see the best of our Savior on the cross. We see the wrath of Almighty God and we see the love of Almighty God in one place. And we thank You that Jesus stayed on the cross. That He did not give in to the temptation, but He stayed there and He stayed there to die for me. And I pray, God, that today, that You, by Your Holy Spirit and by Your Word, would work in the hearts of anyone here today who's an unbeliever. I hope there's no one indifferent to it, that they just listen to this and say, ah, who cares? I hope there's no one here antagonistic towards it and just wants to mock and say evil things about it. 
But I pray that everyone in here today would be humbled by it, amazed by it. And would be like Isaac Watts and say, it demands my soul, my life, and my all. That someone would go this far for me. That no one loves us like Jesus loves us. And we thank you for it. May you work in hearts today, please God. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.